ye, hear ye. My name is Ursula Sojas, and I am here with Robin Sojas. Robin, do us some justice and state your claim before the people. Hello, Justice Riders. You have been on this amazing ride with us. This is the 13th episode in our podcast series, Black Sugar, Not So Sweet. And we're going to focus on who were the Sugarland 95. I know throughout this whole podcast series, we talked a lot about these 95 people. And so this podcast is just going to give you a high-level overview on who these people were as well as where they were from and also some of the uh, reasons why you know they didn't live no more than sometimes two days up until maybe seven months it was a hard hard life working on a sugarcane plantation so just to recap we are the society of justice and equality for the people of sugarland and our vision is to seek advanced truth telling through this podcast we also seek to honor and memorialize the struggling 95. We want to heal, educate, honor, and heal the community and educate the world about the atrocities of convict leasing, as well as give you information on the history of this area of Texas. Convict leasing, it began right after the Civil War, and it didn't completely end until about World War II, it was a brutal system in which many Southern states, they leased prisoners to private businesses, basically it enslaved many African Americans, primarily men, but also women and even children who had been deemed free and equal by the Constitution's 13th Amendment. The fact that the 13th Amendment abolished slavery except as a punishment for crime. And that loophole is still exists today. And this is 2023. Under racially discriminatory laws called the Black Laws, thousands of African-Americans were convicted and sent to coal mines, lumber mills, sugar plantations, railroad tracks, and roads all over the American South. It's so sad that they incarcerated children who were orphaned or homeless. They ended up in the convict leasing system as apprentices. Are you? Oh my gosh, apprentices. And fell into white planters' hands and eventually out of the sugarcane field to work until they died. How do you think they actually fell into that system as apprentices? I know. They so they, were they too young to be labeled a convict? Yes, because of laws. For when other children who were orphaned or other children who were homeless, so they came up with some kind of system to have that kind of young labor um, mm. out there in the fields. Because I tell you, the economy had basically dried up and they was trying as best they can under the black laws to incarcerate as many people as possible. So then they just went on down the pike and went from like, the age 30s to the 20s to the teens and even had, I mean, even the struggling 95, the youngest one was 16 years old. 
So when you hear the word apprentice, you're thinking of someone who's going to learn some type of trade to where they can enhance their life. It's, it's, it sounds like an educational experience where you get to learn a trade, you get to work and earn money to take care of your family. But this here was not the case. No, this was an apprentice for death. Mm-mm. You know, learn how to cut that sugar cane. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, with that from sunup to sundown, it's so sad that they took advantage of these unfair laws. And so you had completely innocent people of crimes and they were accused. And of course they couldn't hire a lawyer because they didn't have any money. And of course the jury was not going to be advocating for them. So these young African-Americans were forced to work from sunup to sundown in chains under the lash and gunpoint of the white guards. Under convict leasing, young and older black people going about their day-to-day business, could be rounded up, convicted of made-up crimes, separated from their families, processed through an all-white court, and treated with little to no regard to their human value. As a matter of fact, in the book, Texas Tough, historian Robert Perkinson estimated that at least 30,000 died in the convict leasing system across the South over a 55-year period. What do you think about that? That's a lot of people. And as you, I don't want to jump the gun, but I know you're going to give us the demographics of some of those people, like the lives that they actually did have before being inducted into that. So that was even more people than 30,000 that was actually affected by such a thing. Yes, that is so true. And as Brian Stevenson said, and many of y'all know Brian Stevenson, he is the lawyer who got many people, you know, free from death row, and he is creator of the Equal Justice Initiative. He even states slavery did not end in 1865. It just evolved. However, convict leasing rarely appears in history textbooks. The generational loss and trauma in Black families is still left to be unexamined. So at, even after the 1912 ban on Texas's convict leasing system, the prisoners were put to work. The state-owned prison farms continued to expand well into the 1950s. The Ellis Prison Farm, which is like right here located in Sugarland, and so many others, that's why you found so many of these 95 African Americans still here because there were thousands of them that worked the plantations in Sugarland and throughout Fort Bend County. So without ever learning about convict leasing, how can we as Americans in this year, 2023, make sense of the discovery of a mass gravesite in a prosperous suburban town known as Sugarland? I mean, how does that even make sense that when I'm getting ready to go to HEB, I got to go past this unmarked cemetery every day. We are just the repetition of trauma. That's what that is. I mean, without even having a resolution to the situation to to satisfy um, the the wants that your trauma is looking for, your trauma is asking for help in a certain way, and which is all who have um, acknowledged this discovery, but 
the powers that be because of certain uh, uh, projects that are going on in the way and they don't want it to look bad for people moving here. People are going to move wherever they're going to want to move anyway. It don't matter what's going on. People are still building houses on landslides that they know that it's going to rain and you're going to slide down that hill or you're going to lose your house. They're still doing it. So I don't believe that that would actually hinder the progress of the expansion. With the expansion and growth is good. It'll create more jobs for the underserved people that are here because they are here. They are here. You look at you look at where you live in this neighborhood, even where I live. It it looks wealthy. It looks, you know, high middle class or middle class. But there are people that are couch surfing that have lived here generations on generations and they're homeless. They're they are without a lot of resources. And it is basically because of what has happened yes. historically in this area. But it's being covered. It's, it's just being covered. I'll tell you, they just burn it as to why soldiers is here, as to why we are going to do the difficult task of telling that dark side of history. So justice writers, as Dr. King stated, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. And so that's why we're going to tell the story of the discovery of the Sugar Land 95. On February 19, 2018, the school district in Fort Bend County, known as Fort Bend Independent School District or Fort Bend ISD, was in the process of building a new school on land that was once part of the larger Central State Prison Farm, which was owned by the state of Texas and Sugarland. Now, Justice Riders, this area is only 25 miles southwest of Houston. This land was once used in part for agricultural purposes, to be honest, really for plantation purposes. Whenever you see that there are free labor, African-Americans growing cotton, sugar, corn for a profit, it's a plantation. Now, sometimes they'll try to call it a farm to kind of lighten it, the perception. No. Anytime that you have these type of crops that are being grown for profit, it's plantation. Well, anyway, the project manager at that time when the backhoe operator, he saw what looked like three long bone medial fragments, and it was found in the back whole dirt pile and it appeared to be of human or, or origin. So what they did is they contacted the police department. The Fort Bend ISD uh, contacted the uh, Sugarland Police Department. They collected the bone material for further analysis to be analyzed by a forensic specialist. Now listen to this uh, justice writers. They took the bone material to the Galveston County Medical Examiner's Office. The examiner's office, the results came back that it was 99% not human. So normally they would go, okay, so then it's not human. And, who and, then, they, and, they, and then they go ahead and start building all these subdivisions because they keep using that same old medical office that comes back 99% not human. So we're okay. So we're this is you can find this anywhere on the net, and it is a hundred percent accurate that this is exactly what the examiner office said that it was 99 percent certain 
that the bones of what we now call Sugarland 95 were not of human origin. So that just questions the medical system. What is going on around here? Exactly. Because you can imagine those 95 people, they weren't the only ones that was tilling the soil. We're talking about going back to like 1824. Mm -hmm. So when there was still enslaved people and then you got 1871 when you had convicted people. So you mean to tell me that this bone was not human? So I have to give credit to Oscar Perez. He's a chief operations officer for Fort Ben ISD. And he wanted to be 100% certain that the remains were not of human origin prior to proceeding with construction. So that man, and we also gave him an award, he took the sample to this anthropologist who worked at the Sam Houston State University, and it came back 100% human. How you go from 99% not human at a forensic medical office to now you got to take it to a state university and then come back 100% human? I just want to take this I just want to take advantage of this particular moment to <laughs> offer a uh, a suggestion, an open arm for the county of Fort Bend in the state of Texas to be open and honest uh, with all of us about the historical evidence that has been found, the historical evidence that has not been found. We're here to listen to you. We're not here to fight you. We just want to know what has happened to our people so that we can heal, educate, honor, right. and move on. I, I, I extend I my love to you. Exactly. No. And I hear you, uh, Ursula, because until the truth is told, then the history is never going to be 100% correct. And so on February the 26th, the Project Lead did receive word that the remains were assessed as human. And so they stopped the project and over uh, uh, almost a year, well, not a year, like some months, because on September the 10th, they finally was able to excavate 95 interments. That means 95 coffins. And then it was a single empty coffin. So where did that body go? We don't know. But there were 95 coffins that had people in it. And the description of how these bodies were buried at the camps was given via a testimony by a, a convict camp guard to a state senator during a state senate investigation in 1909. And this comes from a 1,200-page senate investigation uh, report. And so I'm going to have uh, Ursula Soldiers read this to you. And this is coming from someone who was responsible for managing uh, these convicts. Okay, so I'll start with a quote. Yes, sir. I have seen them buried, all except one buried with convict clothes on. Coffin is made of rough lumber. Clothing consists of a shirt and pants. Coffins are made by the convicts on the camp, lined with nothing. Generally have on each camp what is known as convict graveyard. The Bullhead Camp had a graveyard about 300 yards from the camp in the corner of a pasture. Yes, sir. As a rule, 
always put on a clean suit. In some cases, I have seen new suits put on. On other instances, wash suits. Yes, sir. Never seen but one buried in citizen's clothes. An old convict died under Captain Harris's nephew. Asked Captain Harris to bury him in citizen's clothes. That's the only one I've ever seen buried in citizen's clothes. I've never heard of them communicating with relatives before burying. One guard as a rule and three uh, or four trustees go and put the corpse away. Yes, sir. About the ordinary depth of a grave had two dug myself and buried two while I was sergeant. Same old style been the custom. I remember putting a pillow under one convict's head last year and I think had a little sheep. But as a rule, just lay them in the coffin pine box, put the name and registered number on the head of board on truth or in truth, the cemetery at Bullhead Camp had to be found before the preceding testimony could be fully appreciated. And you see, that actually came from this report that was taken back in 1909. So in summary, they were just thrown in the pine box and only one had on civilian clothes. This particular cemetery, it lies right here next to Telfair, which the average home in Telfair is $500,000, a half a million dollars for these houses in Telfair, which is like two minutes from where these bodies were found. And so the only evidence that we have is what was in those pine boxes. They had chains in there. They had, they showed how many of them were uh, tortured. And so my concern is that there still is no like uh, historical marker there. There still is no effort to analyze the DNA samples there. And the DNA samples were taken back in 2018. And so we're going on five years now with that cemetery still in the same condition that it was when they first uh, found it. And so just want everyone to know that this land that the 95 found is owned by the Fort Benton Independent School District. And they purchased it from the convict camp and, camp and state prison system in 2011. And so when you drive past the school that was built, you see like this black chain that is going around where these 95 people currently are laying. And so I just want to just give you a story about four of the Sugarland 95 in a monologue that my son Ryan Cole wrote. So Ursula, if you can do the intro part with me. We, we are, are part, part of, of the Sugarland 95. 95. Hearing our story keeps us alive. Burying the truth makes our ancestors cry. But now it's time to tell our side. Say his name. So this is George Brewer. Brewer was in a sewer because he stole a cow for some milk and manure. Jean Bell got five years for a loaf of bread 
but the state of Texas gave poor old George two years instead. $36.36. That's how much it costs for a cow hit or miss. Sentenced to hard labor for my lactate dairy fix. I should have stayed in New York. I was a big apple dreamster. I miss my wife. I miss my life. I miss my job as a teamster. I was 40, not young, not old, not new. We worked so hard on Ellis Camp number two. I would look up at the sky turned black from pretty blue. Look down at the holes, replace the soles on my shoes. After one month of labor, I died in November 1882. But who, but who, who's to blame? Who knew the men responsible? There were two, not one name, but two. If the same happened to you, you will want to know too. You will want to know who. First up, Edward Cunningham. Edward Cunningham was a very cunning man. He'd leased convicts in the state of Texas for some money, man. Greedy Eddie wasn't the only one who was trying to sell this. Don't forget his right-hand man, Little Barry Ellis. Little Barry Ellis. Little Barry Ellis. You'll probably wonder, why doesn't history tell this? You know Lincoln, you know Franklin, you know Elvis. Why are there whispers of Edward Cunningham and Ellis? This duel is to blame for erasing my legacy, my name, buying and selling souls like a sick, sadistic game. Me and the other 94 other buried with the truth, six feet dirt covered. We were sons of mothers, some were fathers, some brothers. When one of us died, they just ordered another. But why? But why? Why is this information coming out now? Why didn't the ref blow the whistle for the foul? I just know I got two years hard time for some milk from a cow. We are part of the Sugarland 95. Hearing our story keeps us alive. Burying the truth makes our ancestors cry. But now it's time to tell our side. Say his name, Nate Pope. I kept hope. Did it help? Nope. Not for Nate Pope. I was trapped against the ropes. It only took two days for my life to fade away. I would pray and say Superman will save the day. Take my pain away. But Batman can't help the black man when they are chained, when they are beaten, when they are jailed, when they are damned. Oh man, I can't stand a hot sun like the Serengeti. Sweaty palms, cutting shurikanes, swinging sharp machetes. The more money they net, the deader we get. When the tide rise for them, the wetter we get. The weather we get. Opposed, opposite of sunshine. I saw a man shot dead when he tried to pass the gun line. Listen close to my words that are more than just punchlines. I'm grateful to tell my story, even if it's only one 
at a time. Why did these men hate me? God, I was only 18. Never had a chance to go to college. Get a wife, really dream. But wait, don't miss this. When I try to escape nine days before Christmas, I landed on the warden's murderous hit list. I need you to really get this. My mother's tears turned to mist as she wept instead of wrapping my gifts. We, we are, are part of the Sugarland 95. Hearing our story keeps us alive. Burying the truth makes our ancestors cry. But now it's time to tell our side. Say, Say my name, William White. William White, William White. One question, where's my wife? I tried to escape in the day I was caught by night, but I risked my life to reunite with my wife. If only for one night to catch a glimpse of sight, I would travel far and wide to reunite. Yes, I would tonight, but their spies and eyes I'll hide. I must avoid their sight. I'll sneak, I'll crawl, I'll hike. I'll pay the biggest price. I want and need my wife. I need her tonight. I love her more than life. June 20th, 1880 was the day they took me away from my love, my lady. Will I make it back to Alabama? I don't know, maybe. Or maybe not. I only get, I only got one shot. It's too hot in this boiling Texas melting pot. Sugarland was known as the hellhole of the Brazos. Who knew? We built the railroads in the sugar mill that made them millions, generational wealth that they gave to their children. I pleaded to Lady Liberty, but her bell refused to ring. Liberty bell silenced for Cunningham, the sugar murder king. His sugar mill was built by us black men. Cause so much unexplained pain, I don't even know where to begin. I, I, I'm speechless. They knocked out all my way. Why can't we ever win? Who would cleanse their sins? Silence of the lamb, black blood on his hands. Slaughtered all the sheep. You never hear a peep because convict Leeson was quiet. It preyed on the weak. You know what's worse than violence is when the voice of the just remains silent and sleek and peaceful revolution and protests are called riots in streets and the voiceless people cries remain quietly meek and the rich man lies become pilots who seek big skies and fly high spreading their own propaganda throughout the streets it's utter nonsense i was declared guilty from those with non-guilty conscience the nice woke folks are the biggest pretenders. Why I had to die for sugar? Why couldn't they just use Splenda? They think I'm dumb, but I see the ultimate agenda. In just seven months, I fought for my life, then surrender. Oh, that was powerful. That was very powerful. Thank you, Robin, for you, sharing that with us. You're so welcome, Ursula. And I just have to tell the Justice Riders, 
that the 95 people, 93 were African-American men, one was an African-American woman, and one was a man from Mexico. I know many times you read about the Sugar Land 95, they don't say that, but one was actually from Mexico, and their average age was about 28. For the most part, they died of pneumonia or sunstroke or when they tried to escape, and they were from 11 different states. They weren't all from Texas. They were from Texas and New York and Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. And they didn't ask to be here, to be left in an unmarked uh, grave. Their families and many of them out of the 95, 29 of them were married. So they left a wife and children and they're still here in Sugarland. And we know it was a hundred and almost 40 years ago, but they deserve to be reunited with their ancestors. So thank you for listening to our podcast. And we hope that this information will help you learn that history needs to be told, whether it is dark, the truth is the light. Thank you again, guys, for tuning in. We will catch you later.